Generally speaking, I just believe that in almost any market conditions, like value add is like a great proven moneymaker. And Burr takes advantage of that. Just buying something that is far below its highest and best use and bringing it up to its highest, best use is always going to make money, um, you know, in any type of market. And Burr does that. But maybe now the refinance part is not as attractive as it used to be. But that doesn't mean that buying, you know, C-class properties and turning them to A-class properties is no longer profitable. I think that is still very profitable, especially for flippers right now. I think a lot of people are scared of flipping, but all the data and evidence suggests that flipping is actually quite lucrative right now. And for bringing up rent values to higher levels and hopefully getting properties to cash flow. So. To me, that, that's the stuff that I'm looking at is opportunities for heavy, heavy value add. Welcome, welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thank you again for listening to us. Rory Gill, attorney, real estate broker, Jason Muth here. Rory, We've talked a lot about bigger pockets on this podcast. We certainly have done lots of long drives listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast and on the market and real estate rookie and all, all those fun ones uh, that have been the soundtrack of our drives down to see my family in New York or go visit properties up in New Hampshire. Rory, how many times would I rather listen to Bigger Pockets than, you know, the music that I usually have on? About a hundred percent of the time. And, you know, all this predates our involvement in real estate investing and, you know, why we have so much kind of deference and excitement for today um, for the institution of bigger pockets is that it, you know, while we we're in real estate, uh, real estate law and uh, real estate brokering, we weren't really in real estate um, and investing until we really kind of caught the bug. And it took us a little while, but now we've gained a lot of traction. So, you know, I'm excited to speak to just about every guest that we have on here, but I'm extra um, excited today to, um, to connect with our guest. Yeah, there's, there's a funny story as to how this came together, but somehow we're talking to the VP of Data and Analytics of Bigger Pockets, Mr. Dave Meyer. Dave, welcome to our podcast. Guys, thank you both so much for for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, the pleasure is ours. You know, we, I we met really, really, really quickly in passing at BPCon last year. You would never remember it, uh, but I did. And then suddenly, this past year, uh, we're having. Lunch, coffee, Rory. What were we doing? We were meeting up with the folks from Hudkins Law, right there in the yeah. lobby of New New Kitchen in Newburyport, right? It was the meet and greet. The families um, that we'll be working with um, all kind of came together for a meet and greet, and then something caught your attention on the sidelines. Yeah, and you know, while 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 Dave had the great fortune of diverting his drive off ninety five and uh, joining us here in the lovely uh, city of Newburyport, Massachusetts, on his way to his wedding, uh, little did he know. <laughs> That the the excellent restaurant that he picked, New Kitchen, which is our favorite place that we go there all the time and have lots of meetings over lunch and coffee and everything. Um, in walks Dave Meyer when we're right there in the lobby having our meeting. And I'm like, wait a second, like what on earth are you doing here, Dave? Is what I'm thinking. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I didn't say anything. And then you kind of went off and you're with your now lovely wife. You uh, you were having lunch, and when we were done, I said to Rory, "Like Rory, I need to go say hi to somebody. I'll be right back." And you know, usually what that means in Newburyport is like our neighbor, right? Our neighbor literally owns New Kitchen, like right up the street from us. Okay, we know people in town. Like you bump into people all the time. You don't bump into people like yourself who don't live here and just happily passing through. So, so sorry about accosting you that day, Dave. No, this is great. 
fun. <laughs> and and we, we hope that you enjoyed, you know, your short time here in Newburyport. But congratulations on your wedding. Uh, I know Thank you shared you. a couple of pictures on uh, Instagram. It looked like a lovely New England wedding. How How did everything go? It was great. It was it was so much fun. And we loved Newburyport. Just before we even saw you, we were driving through like this town is so nice. I can't believe we just picked this random place to pull off on I-95. We were driving from Boston up to Maine. We were hungry. We just Jane found a, a restaurant that she thought looked good. And it was lovely. And it's so funny. Like I, I don't uh, normally get recognized. The real estate community is small, but it was the first time I've ever been with Jane when someone actually knew who I was and she got a real kick out of it and has been making fun of me ever since. Um, but, <laughs> so that was it. That was a uh, a fun experience for us. But the wedding went great. You know, you know this, but New England is so beautiful and uh, wonderful people and a very, uh, you know, fun, unique experience in life where you get to have all your closest family and friends surrounding you. It's it's a wonderful experience. We are going to a wedding in Maine in a couple of weeks. We've been to lovely Maine weddings in the past. Nice. Uh, it is it is an excellent place to get married in the summertime in New England. Sorry that I've created that story for Jane to make fun of you that you were recognized, but um, it's okay. I mean, you must not get recognized that much in Amsterdam where you're living, right? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, we're in the states a couple times a year. But I have actually once been been noticed in Amsterdam, which was very funny because I don't it's still hard for me to like consider that people know who I am because like two years ago I had never been on a podcast or YouTube. And so it's been a a rapid change that even anyone would would recognize me as pretty surprising. You know, I was at BPCon last year. Got my sticker right here. BPCon oh, nice. 20, San Diego. And I uh, I took an elevator ride with Henry Washington, you know, one it's of the, the random best. days. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, big smiling guy, just the two of us in the elevator, make a little small talk. I said, Henry, what is it like to be a massive celebrity at an event like this and then go back to your life of, you know, anonymity where nobody really knows who you are? And he just smiled and laughed at that. And that's probably, you know, how you experience BPCon as well. Yeah, I always say to Jane and my friends that I'm I'm famous for one week a year, one weekend a year, which is enough. That's perfect for me. I don't, I'm not. I've never had aspirations to be famous, but BBCon is so much fun. But you know, if you're um, forward, you know, a media facing part of bigger pockets, it's uh, it's definitely whirlwind because people know who you are and everyone wants to talk. And honestly, it's it's one of my favorite couple of days of the year it's extremely energizing and just so fun to be within the community and meeting people and uh just talking shop it's it's fantastic um rory how long have i talked about wanting to go to be pecan i mean <laughs> no you've been talking about it every single year um probably we started listening to um to bigger pockets and you know, this past year, you know, last year, kind of famously for people who listen to our podcast was when you left W2 work um, and kind of jumped into real estate investing full time. So this was your opportunity to to attend BPCon and to kind of embrace the community. Um, and that's what you've been building up this entire time. Yeah. You say that very kindly. I, I, I say that, you know, my job ended, you know, as my way of saying it. But, you know, it was a easy transition into the world of short-term rentals, which is what I'm doing right now. I've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Uh, Dave, we have five properties right now that we own and operate up in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, that would not have been possible without, you know, communities like Bigger Pockets. Uh, 
when did you get started with bigger pockets? I mean, it was probably last decade, right? Yeah, it was I I started as an employee back in 2016, so like seven and a half years ago. Okay. I think my profile dates back to like 2015, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, gee. I might, yeah, I might, I might have you beat there, but um, what, how did you kind of transition from just being a, you know, employee, even though nobody's just a just, I've said that on this podcast, yeah. but you were an employee to, I don't know, suddenly being this, this media presence and this face of the brand. I remember a couple of years ago, you started popping up on my, you know, feeds, Instagram, Facebook. And I'm like, oh, I think that guy works for bigger pockets. Next thing you know, you know, on the market is this big deal and you're writing books and you know, you're doing Instagram reels constantly. <laughs> all of them. Yeah. <laughs> How did all that come about? You know, it was a gradual thing. Um, I started, I joined Bigger Pockets as a, you know, in growth marketing. I have a master's degree in data analytics. And so I, you know, ran the business intelligence and data teams and did some product work and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then in 20, you know, end of 2019. And during that time, you know, when I was living in Denver, Josh Dorkin, the founder of Bigger Pockets, would, you know, kind of c- encourage me to to make content, but I was never really that into it. I like was primarily concerned with my career as an analyst and uh wanted to build software and that sort of stuff. And then I moved to Amsterdam in 2020. And, you know, my role naturally had to sort of change to be a little bit less operational. Um, but I was still doing a lot of bigger pockets. And then um, COVID hit. And everyone was just sort of crazed about what was going on. And people wanted to know, like, is the market going to crash? Are rents going to crash? All these things. And I, in addition to being an analyst, I've always sort of just been interested in economics. And I started writing because there was this intense need for real-time information. And it just caught on and people really liked the real-time information. And to my uh, surprise and, you know, delight, even beyond COVID, you know, even beyond the most acute panic that happened in the, you know, the first half of 2020 surrounding the real estate market, people have remained interested um, you know, for me, the confusing economy has been good for business. Um, and so we've really uncovered that real estate, which I believe for a long time, the predominant media, you know, presence was about motivation and success stories and sort of tactical advice, which is hugely important. Don't get me wrong. But I think there's a class of investor um, that really wants to understand the analytical and technical part of investing. Um, Similar to in the stock market, you know, you see people who just buy index funds, you see people want to do technical analysis, want to pick individual funds. You know, I think we've really latched on to something at Bigger Pockets here where people really want to understand uh, how their investments fit in sort of the larger economy. And so uh, we just keep growing and growing it at Bigger Pockets and, and, Thankfully, it's been really successful. And, you know, maybe thankfully, it's been a lot of fun, too. I really I have a lot of fun doing it. How do you go about breaking down some really technical information, uh, economics, um, finance, and make it palatable and interesting and approachable to just the average person who's watching it in short snippets? It's a great question. It's it's really hard. I think the 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 number one thing is to just understand, uh, make sure I like really understand things in a in a complicated 
way. I mean, if you just have a surface level of understanding, it's really hard to explain something to anyone. And I, I really try to do my best possible job to understand multiple perspectives, you know, for better or worse, uh, in our country, uh, a lot of economics is politicized these days. Um, and I really do my best to try and read analysis and data um, from multiple sources um, to make sure that I'm not getting any sort of unbiased information, you know, any super biased information, or at least that I can um, square that information so that I can see it from multiple sides. Um, but I think the key is really tying it back to people's own individual experiences. You know, there are plenty of people who can go up and say the housing market's going up, housing market's going down. But I think if you can use stories, honestly, to explain data and help people relate what's going on in this broad macro sort of confusing way to like what they see every single day is the most effective way I've found, at least to to try and explain some of these more technical topics. No. And I, you know, I know in the world of, you know, dealing with a lot of real estate brokers from across the country, every real estate broker wants to say that their market is the hottest market in the country. Their market <laughs> is doing great. Now is the best mm -hmm. time in humanity to buy right here in, you know, in our town. So we have to kind of get through, punch through that bias just a little bit. Um, but the truth is, these answers are always, it depends, you know, how's the market doing? There's never, you know, you probably get asked all the, all the time, you know, what's the hottest market? What's the best market? But the truth is, these always, the answer to this always is, it depends. A hundred percent. It totally is. Um, it depends on so many different things. And a lot of them are not even macroeconomic. They're, they're personal finance questions. Uh, you know, like, who, what's the best market depends what you want for some people detroit might be the best market because they're looking for really good cash flow and they're willing to you know take on a risk of perhaps stagnant or declining property values in, in a city like detroit or maybe elsewhere in the midwest some people just want appreciation you know it's like it's a total personal choice in the same way you can't say like one stock is the best stock or one you know one investment is better than another it really depends on personal choice and i do think sort of you know in some ways the work i do and we do at bigger pockets to identify good markets it's helpful to people but i also should do a better job explaining that you're splitting hairs sometimes between like several good markets and people are like oh should i invest in this great market or this one I'm like it doesn't matter <laughs> or just like whichever one you can find a better team you know where do you have a better property manager or or where is more affordable and so i think that there's a lot of good markets and the idea that there's like one best one is probably something that we perpetrate you know uh not perpetrate but like we sort of put into the world and that we ne not shouldn't necessarily do that because there are plenty of great places to invest. And, you know, just to, to make this more about us, I mean, here in, here in New England, we, despite kind of having a larger population in the Northeast, we don't really get as much attention, I think, in a lot of the either bigger pockets or just other real estate um, uh, blogs out there, just because we're never the strongest market in the country, but we're never the weakest. We kind of get past, you know, we're never the hottest market. We're never the market that's totally in distress. Um, you know, I always call us up here in New England, the slow and steady, the boring market that, you know, slow and steady may win the race for a lot of people. Um, we're never going to have the cash flow as some of the, up, you know, the upper Midwest, but we're never going, and we'll never see the 
the flash in the pan is Florida, but we're kind of slow and steady. So, you know, is there anything to make this about us, anything that we should use to categorize the Northeast? I think the Northeast is a great place to invest. Actually, I, I was looking at it uh, recently because we had such a great time in New England when we were up there. And I'm from the Northeast originally. So I was like, man, I forgot how great it is here. I think that it is often overlooked because for a long time it was seen as relatively expensive. But I think that's sort of changed over the last couple of years where not that things have gotten cheaper in the Northeast, but relative to other markets, it's become much more sort of middle of the pack. The you know great thing about the Northeast is that like even though it's middle of the pack, like the economy is just extremely strong in the Northeast, and like you know you see consistent job growth, wage growth, all the things that you want to see um, in the Northeast. And I think people look at some of the data from COVID, like oh New York lost a lot of area, yeah, like Manhattan lost a lot of people. That's true, but New York is a giant state, and there's lots. Not that. I don't think New York's not technically New England, right? But in the Northeast in general, like, or if you look at the New York metro area, like, you know, there are tons of places in Southern Connecticut that are, you know, con considered metro New York that are exploding right now because all the people who went left, left Manhattan just went there. Um, so I think there are a lot of uh, strong fundamentals in, in the Northeast and generally just in real estate, I think people always want this hot market or or like you said that you said put it well like a flash in the pan but if you just want solid steady growth if you want a portfolio that's going to do well for you for 20 or 30 years like i think the northeast is probably as good as it gets it's great that we don't have as much reach as bigger pockets does because you're saying it on our podcast and not a bp <laughs> one so not everyone's going to go running to the northeast now but um you guys have quite a platform you know and sometimes you're market makers uh unintentionally right you know bigger pockets yeah. talks to a lot of people and a lot of times by the time you've identified the trend it might be a little bit too late uh to get into that trend if you're not already there yeah, I think that's the other thing about real estate is like it doesn't work like stocks. Like it takes a while for these trends to emerge. And so uh, if you see like, oh, if you're reading an article that like blah, blah, blah is the top market, it's probably a little bit late or it's already really expensive. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think we do have some influence on where people choose to invest. But my hope is that what we do is help people realize that different markets and different real estate tactics offer different benefits and that there's not like, you know, what's good and what works well in New England might not be what works well in Florida or works well in California, but there are tactics that work well in pretty much every market. I personally just think that's a better way to look at it. It's like, you have to decide for yourself, like, do you know you want to invest in, you know, let's just say New England, do you know you want to invest in New England? Great. Then you can choose the tactics that work in New England. If you know you want cash flow, you may have to go outside of New England, but that's okay. Like you could just, that that's your objective. You really just have to choose what's most important to you. You know, aside from, you know, where to invest, um, I've kind of, we've noticed a, a strong evolution in how to, the on the advice on how to invest um, for the, for the, history of bigger pockets. I mean, bigger pockets emerged kind of in the heyday, the golden age of the Burr method. 
um, mm-hmm. when property was relatively uh, cheap, rates were low, um, and of course, market shift and things have to change. Um, and now we're hearing um, kind of across the real estate world, the, the burr is now just one of um, many methods of investing in real estate. Is that a fair characterization? And what are the what are some not necessarily markets to invest in? But what are some strategies that are emerging um, in the market here in 2023? I think that is fair. I think people have been really focused on Burr for a while, and with good reason. It's you know it was very conducive. The market was very conducive to Burr for a long time. I think Burr still can work. I think there's just this idea that like for a bird to be successful, you have to be able to withdraw 100% of your equity. And I just, that seems like it's not going to happen right now. But you could still, you know, contribute equity and refinance 20, 30, 50% out and still use some of that money to to keep growing your portfolio. I think the it is not going to be easy in today's day and age for you to pull out 100% of your equity and just keep repeating this over and over again. So I do think that's true. But generally speaking, I just believe that in almost any market conditions, like value add is like a great proven moneymaker. And Burr takes advantage of that. Just buying something that is far below its highest and best use and bringing it up to its highest, best use is always going to make money, um, you know, in any type of market. And Burr does that. But maybe now the refinance part is not as attractive as it used to be. But that doesn't mean that buying, you know, C-class properties and turning them to A-class properties is no longer profitable. I think that is still very profitable, especially for flippers right now. I think a lot of people are scared of flipping, but all the data and evidence suggests that flipping is actually quite lucrative right now. Um, and and for bringing up rent values to uh, higher levels and hopefully getting properties to cash flow. So. To me, that that's the stuff that I'm looking at uh, is for just opportunities for heavy, heavy value add. You know, these were topics that came up last year in the halls of BPCon 2022 uh, when the interest rates had just spiked and everyone kind of thought maybe that was a temporary spike. And here we are a year later and it's, you know, it's still here. Um but let's talk about conferences like that because this is where you can emerge and see what trends are out there. You've been, I think I went to a couple of your panels last year. I think you talked about inflation data on one of them. Um, you know, talk about what you're gonna talk about this year at your your keynoter uh at yes, DPCon. I, I mean, that's a freaking big deal. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I was kind of shocked they asked me to do that. <laughs> but I've, I'm very excited about it. I was actually working on the presentation today, so it's good uh, good timing. So I'm doing two panels this year. The first one is uh, about portfolio strategy, which is the topic of a book I have coming out in January. And that's basically similar to what we were just talking about, which is like trying to identify what you care about and then working backwards to identify like the tactics that you should be using. So like, do you care about cash flow? You know, when do you want to retire? How much money do you have? And like figuring out the right deals to buy based on your personal situation. So that's one. For the keynote, I'm going to do my best to try and explain the economy, which is always very difficult. But I think I'm going to, you know, my intention is to do something a little bit different, which is not offer a forecast for what's going to happen, but to I don't know if you guys have come up with come across the concept of scenario planning, um, which is similar what a lot of businesses do, which is basically like we think there's basically three or four directions the economy or our industry might go in the next three or four years. 
And we are going to come up with plans uh, based on each of those three or four possibilities. And I think that's really what most real estate investors need right now, because we don't know. Um, and there are a lot of variables that are not yet settled um, in the housing market. I have my ideas of what I think might happen. Um, but I think it's really helpful to just understand the different things that could play out and how you should react if you know any of those three scenarios do do come to fruition. Um, because I think what you see through doing these exercises is that you can continue to invest even in the worst case scenario. Um, you just have to, again, adjust your tactics and adjust what you're doing um, based on you know shifting market conditions. Mm -hmm. It sounds similar to kind of these classic SWOT analyses that we used to do back in, you know, when I worked for uh, large media companies in sales, we're looking at the strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats of every situation. And if you're kind of digging into a few different, you know, pathways, you know, it's like a SWOT analysis for each of those pathways for what could happen. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what happens if mortgage rates go higher? What happens yeah. if mortgage rates go down by 3%? What if they stay flat? For the next four years like those are all reasonable scenarios like we don't know which of those is going to play out to me that's the biggest variable in the housing market right now is is mortgage rates and so i personally like having a plan for each of those three scenarios and uh even trying to prescribe some probability of each one so that i can say like hey i think you know 75 percent chance like mortgage rates mm -hmm. are going to stay high i'm not saying i'm making that number up um but, uh, you know, just like, because without that, it's so hard to act, I, I find, where you just like, you just keep having these ideas in your head and they're swirling. You're like, what if inflation goes up, blah, blah, blah. You know, you have like all these ideas and it's hard to like come up with a a plan. So I think it's much easier to come up with a thesis that you can act on if you just say like, here are the variables. I don't know what's going to happen, but like, if I understand the variables, I can at least do my best to mitigate risk and, and continue to make progress because doing nothing, in my opinion, is like the worst of all options because you miss out on opportunity inevitably. The next first option is doing the same thing over and over when the situation changes, you know, like which for a decade, people have been able to refinance, you know, a lot of their money out of properties as they improve them because rates were so low things changed. If people didn't know how to adapt, then they're going to be stuck. But the people that know how to adapt to a different situation like that, those are the ones that will probably find the opportunity. All right. Is this your first, like your biggest speech you've done in front of people, like your keynote? I think it is. Yeah, it yeah. will be. Well, and it's just you on the stage or do you have a panel? No, it's just me. Wow. They're throwing you out there, huh? All right. Yes. That's confidence. You'll be fine. Yes. I mean, you, no, you talk. I, I, yeah. I'm not worried about it. Honestly, I like public speaking. Um, it doesn't worry me standing on the front of the stage. The topic is hard because everyone just wants to know what's going to happen with the economy, mm -hmm. but no one knows. So I'm trying to like trying to come up with the right way to help people understand the variables without telling them what's going to happen because I don't know. Yeah. Now, is it like a, a Q and A situation afterward, like where you can plant a couple questions out there? You know, the people. <laughs> Uh, I have not considered planting questions, but there will be Q&A. Okay. Talk a bit about BPCon though. Like, you know, can I give my opinion a little bit? Like I'm going to, because I'm talking right now, but like, it's big. It is a big event. It can be overwhelming if you don't know what to expect. I mean, there's a 2,000 attendees. Is that right? 2,500, 3,000? Yeah. 
25 yeah. or 3000 this year. And, you know, they're from all different walks of life. And if you just go bright eyed, you know, and absorb it, you might find your way to the right groups of people. Um, if you go expecting that you're going to be directed in the right direction, you know, you have to put a little responsibility on yourself. I think that BP mm -hmm. did a really great job with that lunch the first day last year where they had people sit at a table that was the color of what you want to talk about basically yeah, you know you kind of you kind of awesome. put you put pins on your tag saying i'm interested in um you know long term rentals or short term rentals or finance or this that so you can try to at least have some kind of icebreaker with the people um that are around you but you know it's just it's it's a big group of folks that are all there to hear from the same people you know, I think everyone there is a super fan, so they all know you and the rest of the VP authors. Um, and it can be it can be a lot, right? If you don't really know what to expect. So, what what's some advice that you might have to a first time attendee uh, that is attending BPCon this year? I think that's very good advice. Is try trying to really have an objective because it can be overwhelming and it goes by fast. Like there's a lot of programming, but it really is stimulation overload. At least in my experience, um, I think that networking is is the best thing that you can do, and just like putting yourself out there, just striking up conversations with as many people as you can. I've I've met a lot of interesting people that way, and I've met a lot of um, friends that way. And I think, you know, you, you meet a lot of people and you will get exposed to a lot of opportunity, but the benefit really comes from after the conference, in my opinion, like what you do with the people, you know, the relationships that you make and the information, like af after that's what matters. Like you're not going to, I mean, you could do a deal while you're there, you know, but realistically you're there to source opportunity and then you have to follow up on that opportunity and, and make it into something real. Uh, and so I just encourage people to really keep up the momentum. You know, like if you go to a, it, this is BPCon or anything else, but like, you know, it can be so stimulating, exhausting that you get, I think we, we've called it like the conference hangover right afterward, where you're sort of like exhausted and tired. But I think that's the most important time to like really just try and keep up that momentum. And, you know, maybe even if there's someone who you thought like, oh, maybe they're not really interested, just to put yourself out there and, you know, send out emails, send a text, send a, make a call um, and, and follow up and see if you can turn, you know, something that's just potential into something real um, in the days or weeks after the conference. Or you could have the conference hangover beforehand, which is what happened to me, because I got out there a little bit early and uh, a good friend of Rory's and mine, Jonathan, took me out for a Sunday fun day, which got a little out of hand. So that's uh, yeah, I that's gotta, also and, part of the conference is very, a lot of hangovers. Very much so. In fact, I, I ended up at a uh, STR uh, meetup in San Diego, which I knew about, but the Sunday Fun Day was before then. And I don't, I don't know how coherent I was at that event because then I saw, <laughs> I saw the people the next day. They're like, "Dude, do you remember talking to us yesterday?" I'm like, "I remember being there, but I don't." exactly remember what we talked about and forgive me and they laughed so no that is yeah. that is a big part of it it's also a very fun party this year they're they're renting out harry potter world um mm -hmm. as part of the conference so the last uh it's in orlando so yeah. it i think that's universal uh the last event is going to be a rent out of harry potter world which should be super fun that is wild. Rory and I were just at Harry Potter World for a convention of his, what, last year, two years ago? 
when was that? That was in 22, it was last year. Yeah, yeah. It was not a private event at Harry Potter World, though. That would have been sweet because it was... Have you been there yet, Dave? No, I've never been. So, like, this will be my first time ever. It's wild. I mean, it's just wild. Like, you know, I'm not a Harry Potter super fan, but, like, I'm, I definitely read the books and saw the movies. And it was... I thought it was just really cool to be involved in the environment that Universal put together as part of that. So, um if you are going to BPCon uh, this year, do not miss that. You know, I don't know what's in store at the event, but you want to be at Harry Potter World, especially for a private event. I don't know what's going on either, but uh, Alex Palet, the, the woman in charge of BPCon, is an excellent party thrower uh, yeah. so I, I have full faith that it'll be a it was i mean it was a, it was a great closing event last year um i, I it was, there was a yacht rock party i yes. think it was last year yes um i ended up so so two big takeaways i had last year from from bp con one happened at the closing event where uh we met where i met um dave and mark from host pros out of cleveland uh on at that event randomly and they're they've become good friends i've seen them at str uh WealthCon in nashville we've had them on this podcast i see them on social all the time they're um operators in ohio and they run a business probably better than anybody else locally in ohio for short-term rental management uh and really really good guys and i i totally monopolized their time for like two hours like at that <laughs> event that's why like i didn't get to go hang out uh dancing with the yacht rock crew but you know we had a good time there and then the but other big making, takeaway making important connections you know going to events like that if you could take away a handful of meaningful uh new contacts that is much more oh, important yeah. than a long list of 200 people that you met oh 100 um, percent, yes actually two, two other two other takeaways i had one the, the other one was at the tax planning tax planning event that i went to or the, the workshop last year i learned about cost segregation studies and i'm so oh, embarrassed yeah. that we didn't know about that leading into that event and i came home and i said to rory i'm like we need to do this immediately and like boom we did two cost segs last year and it was just like such oh, a nice. opening high opening was experience. that with amanda han no um no we used cost segregation authority they were on the panel oh okay. um okay i forget cool. i forget the gentleman's name that was on the panel but i little i wrote the name down of the speaker and i'm like i'm just going to use this company like no due diligence i was like bp's got this they wouldn't put them on the stage <laughs> if like if they didn't uh if if they weren't the real yeah. deal so they they picked good good panelists so yeah i think amanda does that yeah she's she's a cpa right she i think she yeah, does yeah. things a little differently the other big takeaway i had at you know, bpcon was the amount of people that were filming content right so like it's the us's of the world the me's that are going there interviewing people and i think you guys even had a podcast studio there for um some select people to use which i thought was, yes uh, they did that was pretty cool yeah um they're always yeah like people bringing you know interviewing people just asking questions making content it's it's a lot of fun uh yeah there's a lot of people uh just mixing it up and asking you to speak and give your opinion so it's definitely a a thrilling thing to be a part of do you, do you feel like you have to become a hermit for like the week or two afterward if it's just been stimulus home overload uh a little bit honestly i just lose my voice is the is the hardest part i did last year um and i'm sure i will again this year um and i definitely think it's everyone on bigger pockets all the staff that goes like kind of just takes the rest of the week off it's like a yeah. lot to 
to do. Um, or just honestly, it's nice to just get back and answer some emails. I love talking to people. It's it's so fun. It like really is like the highlight of my year. But uh, yeah, like you said, it, it there's it's just so much packed into three days that uh, you definitely have a even if you don't drink, there's like a mental hangover for a few days. Yeah. Um, hey, Rory, any final thoughts for Dave before we get to our final three questions that we ask of everybody? Ooh. I just want to ask a slightly different question. We talked about kind of the trends from the perspective of the investor, um, but I want to bring in part of our audience, um, such as real estate agent, agents, people who uh, make a living out of volume in this market. And that's what mm-hmm. has dried up substantially now. If you're in those professions um, asking for a friend um, that relies on volume, um, how can what would you be doing right now in your business to to prepare for the up the, the potential possibilities in the upcoming markets? Yeah, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm not an expert in like the operations of being a, an agent or anything. I'm not one myself. Um, but I I will be honest, like if I had to guess, I would expect volume to stay low for the for the foreseeable future. Um I don't I don't think it's gonna get worse really. Um that's that's my guess, but I do just think that this this inventory issue is going to take a little while to to sort itself out. And that's really the source of this problem. Um, that, or, you know, maybe we get a break on interest rates and mortgage rates, but I'm not expecting that anytime soon. So I, I do think, um, the more you can do to help people, um, you know, find affordable products, uh, maybe try and work with new construction. I don't know how, how people do that, but that is an increasing share of the volume that's going up. It's usually like 11%, about 30% now. Um, and so I don't know, you know, how you form those relationships, but, um, you know, if you can get in on some of those trends or, um, build to rent, um, there's do, does seem to be volume in those sectors. They could be really good. Um, but that being said, like, I think honestly, it's just about being good at what you do. Like you, 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 there's still plenty of, there's still a lot of volume, you know, there's still going to be several million home sales. Um, and there are tons of uh, brokers out there. And I think the mentality is sort of like the pros need to buckle down and take as much market share as they can for the people who do this part time as like, you know, sort of as their side hustle, because, you know, if you're if this is your full time business, there's definitely still enough volume to make it your living. But, you know, I think you have to compete a little bit against the people who are just doing this opportunistically. Yeah. I mean, we can go on. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but it's definitely not my definitely not my specialty. But I, I, um, I feel for the whole industry. I mean, it's a really tough, it's really tough uh, situation right now. I don't know for somebody who's claiming not to be an an expert in that space. You just gave one of the you know really coherent answers to that question. So thank you. (laughs) Okay, good. I have a lot of friends who are agents, so hopefully, (laughs) hopefully, I've learned something. But yeah, I mean, you give such great advice. I mean, you probably don't even realize it, but there's so many people that kind of hang on, you know, what you say with on the market and all of your daily updates on Instagram. Um, you know, you're, are, are, were you an economist like, and by trade at all or no? Yeah. No, no, no. Just an analyst. You know, I do have training as a data analyst. So I have a lot of experience looking at data sets and like extrapolating and using statistical methods to like extrapolate how patterns might 
play out into the future. Mm -hmm. And so I think naturally a lot of people who get into data analysis get into economics because there's so much data, you know, it's like, there's so much to play with. It's like either that or baseball, because there's a lot yeah. of stats there too. Um, so uh, I, I just have always had a, like an interest in it. Um, and, you know, you asked me earlier, I just, I find that a lot of economics is so boring. Um, and so, you know, on our show, on, on the market or just on Instagram, I just try and make it fun. You know, I think that that to answer your question earlier, I think that's just so important to, to getting people to listen to it and understand it is just having fun with it and making you realize that it doesn't have to be so serious and technical all the time. Yeah. And boring like law. I mean, we didn't even talk about law on this, but that's okay. We never do. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank so, you so, for sparing me because not that it's yes. boring. I, I appreciate it. I just don't know a thing about it. <laughs> well, we every so often we'll sprinkle in a question about like a legal situation that people will come up, but you come up with, but yeah, we, we pass on that for this episode. So let's wrap things up with the last three questions. We ask these of all of our guests. Uh, the first one is going to be a complete layup. And I swear this question we ask everybody, but the question is if you can get on stage for half an hour and talk about <laughs> any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? That's so funny. Uh, yeah, I, I think... Right now, I would say instead of economics, because that's boring, I would say um, about personalization of your real estate portfolio. That's like my big passion right now in the book I'm writing. Um, I just think, God, there's so many people on Instagram who are like, you have to do Burr, you got to be in short term rentals or do creative finance. And like we talked about, it's so much, it depends. But so many, it's that's a daunting answer because then people have to go and figure it out for themselves. And so I've spent a lot of time coming up with like a decision making framework to help people figure out like what is the right real estate strategy for them. And I've, I'm just really passionate about it because I think hopefully my hope is that it will help more people who wouldn't have gotten into real estate Um to realize that there is a strategy for them to achieve really whatever financial goal they want. Like you don't have to be a tycoon. You don't have to want to quit your job. Like there are many, you know, modest goals that people have. Um, I, when I first started investing in real estate, I had no dream of quitting my job. I just wanted some cash, you know, like mm -hmm. that's a totally fine goal. And I, my hope is that, you know, I can help some people, and bring that conversation more to the forefront that like, you don't need to quit your job. There's a lot of good ways to get into real estate, no matter what your personal financial situation is or your personal goals are. Yeah. Plus you're in a situation that is like aspirational to many. It's like, wait, this guy's a real estate investor plus works for bigger pockets is the, you know, the face of the brand. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, that's the kind of cool job. Like, you know, it's, it's a boring desk job. I did luck out. Yeah. So it's, it's easy for me to say like, yeah, I don't want to quit my job because I have a great job. <laughs> yeah, I understand that some people do. But even before, like, you know, I started investing in real estate when I had a crappy job. I was waiting tables. Um, and, you know, I actually didn't hate that job. But, um, you know, my my job, that was never my goal, you know. And I think the, the, the popular thing is to say, like, oh, use real estate to quit your job. But, like, use real estate to secure your retirement. Use real estate to work less. You know, like, there's tons of good ways to do it. And so I, I hope that we can all, you know, as the real estate community sort of normalize some of those other ambitions and ways to invest in real estate that aren't just, like, all or nothing, where you have mm -hmm. to be, like, all in all the time. Second question, tell us something happened early in your life or career that impacts the way you're working today. Oh, God. 
Um, you know, uh, I guess one, one thing is like my parents, uh, when I was a kid in like the 2000 bubble, uh, my dad lost his job and, uh, my parents had just gotten divorced and had put our family in some like pretty bad financial turmoil. And it, uh, it really impacts you or like as a kid, it really impacted me. And it like made me want financial freedom from like an extremely young age. <laughs> I feel like since I've been like 11, I was like, I'm not letting that happen to me. Um, and so I, I think that that's probably something that has impacted me far before I even uncovered real estate and the potential to it. I've just like always wanted to find a way to not rely on other people for my income. Yeah. We hear a lot that, you know, family situations that happened a long time ago, you know, really are the North Star that allows people to kind of lead them down the pathway that they're on today. So thanks for sharing that. Final question. Tell us something you're listening to or watching or reading these days. Anything in the world? Oh, God. Um, I just, I, I I sort of, I don't know about you guys. I like oscillate back and forth from reading like business books to like the complete opposite. Um, and so I just started finishing, read a really nerdy, like, fantasy trilogy that was really mm -hmm. good um called the poppy wars it was really good um like i'm a big like lord of the rings fan and and dune and all those types of things so that that is something um i was uh just reading um but listening to uh there's a there's a blogger named tim urban i don't know if you guys have ever heard the blog called wait but why Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he does these like really funny stick figure animations of like really uh, complicated topics. And he wrote a book called What's Wrong With Us. Um, and it's just about like a lot of the, you know, political polarization in the United States and how it's impacting the whole society. And I just thought it was it's super interesting book. Um, and it's really he does. I, I've always liked him because I think he does a very good job of presenting information from both sides. And um, I, I think it's a, a really good articulation of what I think a lot of people are feeling about American society right now. So I really liked it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm on their email list because like every so often I get a periodic email out of the blue. That's a really long email from, yeah, with six figures. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's like he writes like one blog post a year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's a good blog. It's always a good blog post. I always read the whole <laughs> yes. thing. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we'll we'll certainly have to dig deep into, you know, how the rest of the world thinks about America from a European perspective on another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. that's, a whole, that's probably another couple of hours, Dave. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a, I, a whole other topic. <laughs> I, I do I do have a final bonus question. Like, what is with the zany video thumbnails that we see? Like you <laughs> I don't know, man. I God. Okay, I can do the faces now. It's like so yeah. I don't know how it started. Some YouTuber started this and at bigger pockets, they did some testing and realized it worked. And so whenever we're in Denver, like once or twice a year, they'll get all like the hosts and authors together and we do some like bonding and some teamwork stuff. And they like literally make us go to a green screen and make like the stupidest faces you could ever possibly imagine. Right. And Jane, my wife just saw them for the first time because she's like has no interest in real estate, which I love. Um, it's like nice to sort of have the separation. Um, and she saw them. She was like, what? is that <laughs> like was laughing so hard and i showed her like the full gallery of me just standing in front of a green screen making stupid faces and she was like this is such a gold mine it's so bad <laughs> um so i don't know but apparently it works it gets people to to download uh or watch youtube videos but it is certainly humiliating when like 
your friends or someone you know looks at them because you just look like an idiot. Well, you certainly have a good attitude toward it and a good sense of humor. Rory, <laughs> could you Rory, could you imagine if I had you know that idea? I'm like, okay, green screen poses now, like zany Dave Meyer faces. If you made me do that, I would never look at the Instagram feed again. That would be the rule. You, you can do it, but I'll never see it. It's so bad. Yeah, it's only bigger pockets do it. Does it? I, I ref, even though I know it would work for social media, I just refuse to do it for my own feed. Um, yeah. But you know, it gets people to to engage with the brand, which we love. And you know, it's a little bit of a sensationalist kind of thumbnail. But the content behind it is good. So I stand by the content. And if it gets you to click on it and engage in the content, hopefully you learn something. We learn a lot from you, Dave. Uh, if you want to follow Dave, which you should do if you're not doing already, it is at the Data Deli, correct? That's right, on Instagram. Yes. And you were not eating a sandwich when I met you. And I met you. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second, what's up with that? Like, you're a sandwich we were, guy, apparently. I am, but it was, you know, we were like two days before the wedding. I had to eat a salad, even yeah. though I have ne- never subscribed to that idea. But like that day, Honestly, we were just, we had just gotten off like a nine, eight hour plane ride. And I just like, they give you so salty food. I just needed like something fresh. <laughs> well, I hope you had some lobster rolls while you're, while you're in New England. So many unbelievable yeah. amounts. <laughs> <laughs> There's never enough lobster rolls. Yeah. At least 10. Dave, we really appreciate your time today. This has been a delightful conversation. Uh, I I would have you on all the time if we could, but you know, you're a busy guy and you got BPCon coming up. We will put links in all the show notes for how you can get tickets if you haven't bought if are there any available still or no? There there are. They're going fast. They they do always sell out. Um yep. every year we've done it, they've sold out. So um if you're interested, uh, check them out. And they do go up in price the closer they get to the actual date. So if you are interested, sooner the better. Love that yield, yield revenue management. That is the strategy. I had, I had, I had, oh, a, I had I a guess. I don't even know what they're, yeah. No, I, I, I had a guess our short-term rental that, you know, she's checking in. She's like, hey, I noticed the price change for the week after mine. I'm like, you booked it six months ago, you know, yeah. and the price, yeah, it's like, it's like an airline, you know? Anyway. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. It's different. Yes. But you're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, Rory, where can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you? Um, just go to rorygill.com and you'll see the different ways to work with and get a hold of me. All right. And if you want to be a guest on the podcast, you can reach out to me, Jason, at nexthometitletown.com. Uh, drop us a comment. Leave us a five-star review. Go follow Dave. Go download On the Market. Go download Bigger Pockets. All that stuff. You're going to be much more informed if you're not doing that already. Dave, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. And we uh, can't wait to have you back. Anytime. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. 